Welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. I, uh, I want to start this first session, and you're going to have to bear with me, so it's going to be a lot of Bible teaching we're going to do over the, the, this week. Um, but this first session is probably going to be less of a Bible teaching, and I want it to be more of a philosophical questioning. And I want to build, what I want to do is I want to build a framework from which we can then look at the Bible. And I think, because we talked about this when we were talking about our books, we were talking about how one person can read a book and take one thing, another person reads the same book and takes away another thing. And, and the Bible is no different, right? And if you, well, that's well timed, isn't it? Beautiful. Um, we'll all burn down now. Just wait this one out. So the Bible is no different in the sense that one person reads the Bible and takes away one thing, the other person reads the Bible and takes away another thing. And that's how you can have Mother Teresa saying, I'm a passionate born-again believer, and Adolf Hitler saying, I'm a passionate born-again believer, and both doing what they think the Bible tells them to do. And so um, it's we all bring something to the Scriptures. We all, we all come with a preconceived notion, and that then... Uh, speaks to what we get out of it and we all have to be aware of that bias we have that you can't escape your bias you can only be aware of your bias um, and so what I wanted to do today is I want to I want to try and create um, a healthy bias <laughs> or, or what I think is a healthy bias at least um, and so I want to talk about the beginning okay and do you ever do you ever open up your bible and just think man this is an interesting and slightly weird book right do you ever think this when you read the Bible and you just think, it is a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, there's some weird stuff in there. And, and a lot of it's because it's very culturally different to where we come from. Or maybe sometimes it's because we're reading it in a way that it isn't meant to be read. You know, so um, it's easy to read the Bible in a, in a warped way when we don't understand that parts of it are poems. Parts of it is songs. Parts of it are uh, wisdom, proverbs. Other parts of it are... Um, uh, there's a play in there, there's history books in there, there's all sorts of stuff within the Bible and it's very easy for us to uh, miss that and then read the book weirdly. And so a good example is maybe the book of Genesis. You know, um, we forget that Genesis is written as a poem. It's very well grafted. You know, the first uh, line is seven uh, words. The second line is 14 words. The third line um, is, again, it's a, it's a segment of sevens. And, and, the, and the God has said it was good is mentioned seven times. And God being talked about as good is, is 21 times. It's all seven, seven, seven. It's got threes. It's got sevens all the way through. It's, it, it's written as this very well-constructed poem. Um, and so we often forget we're not reading a scientific history of how the world was created somehow. I don't know if you've met someone that's, that thinks that Genesis is that. <laughs> and so they open up Genesis and they go, oh, this is a detailed plan of how God created the world. It was in six days and it was this many years ago. And, and that's never what the author of Genesis was trying to answer. He wasn't trying to answer how did God create the world or when. He was answering questions that the people at the time were actually asking. Because that's, that's a 21st century question. How did God create the world? Why? Because we're starting to discover how the world was created. Right? From a scientific perspective, we're, we're getting uh, advanced enough scientifically that we can go, wow, look at, the, look at the earth, and we can study the rocks, and we go, wow, it's probably this age. And then Christians go, oh, but the Bible doesn't say that. And it's like, well, the Bible wasn't written to tell you how old the earth was. Because people in the Bronze Age, when Genesis was written, didn't care how old the earth was. That was never the question. The question was, why are we here? Who is God? Who are we? Why is there suffering? You know, these are the questions that people were asking 4,000 years ago. <coughs> and so it's, it's really important that we understand some of these things. And so often I think about Genesis and I think about how it's a book about the beginning of the world. And, and you know, I look at it again from a 21st century perspective. You know, I want to know, like, where are the dinosaurs? Why doesn't he have something about dinosaurs? Then I would know what to say to people when they go, well, there's dinosaurs. Where did they come from? Or why doesn't he just tell us, like, when it was made or how long ago? Or, you know, that would just help me. Why don't you give me something, God, that's a bit more detail? And also, it's kind of funny, right? Because you've got, um, I mean, you've got like 1,500 pages, you know, this big, thick Bible. And the, the, the document that covers creating Everything, the creation of the whole universe and all people created is one page. 
right? And you're kind of like, oh, come on. That's it? One page? You know, I don't mind if it's like an extra 10 pages. You know, God, you can make it slightly bigger. I don't mind if the Bible's bigger, if you tell me a bit more information, because I like the information, right? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm asking questions that the Bible wasn't written to answer. But I do like to open up Genesis and think, well, actually, what is it talking about? What is it about? And it really challenges me, you know, this, this whole concept of um, in the beginning was God. Have you ever thought about that? In the beginning was God. So there's nothing at this point apart from God. And that's hard for us to get our head around, right? Nothing. So God is just there, but there's no there. It just is God. And they're just, I don't know, it's just God. I mean, you, kinda, you can't close your eyes and picture that because when you close your eyes, you're picturing something to put God in. You know, it's, it's just, there's just God. There's nothing. And it's kind of a, a hard concept to get. And then we think of, well, who is God? And, and, and if we actually look through the rest of the scriptures, we have a great detail of, of uh, people answering the question, who is God? And, and in the New Testament, there's only two emphatic statements about who God is. So these are statements that say, God is this. There's only two times in the New Testament that someone says, this is who God is. Every other thing we know about God from the New Testament, we have to infer. So we, we know from Jesus' life and the life of the apostles that God is a healer. But never in the New Testament does it say God is healer. Now in the Old Testament it does say that. And, and so that we've got a lot of information. But in the New Testament, only twice does it say God is this. And the first, well, it says God is light and in him is no darkness. And the other time, God is love. And I want to stop and think about that for a bit. Okay? In the beginning was God. And God is love. Do you know that um, of all the gods, okay, so I'm using that term loosely, okay, I'm not saying there are other gods, but you'll meet some people that do believe there are other gods. And if you look through history, there's been plenty of gods, okay? Now, we know them to be false gods, but there were plenty of gods. Of all the gods, only one god that has ever existed uh, uh, in, in human imagination can be love, and so if you look through the, the mythology of different traditions, of Greek tradition, of Roman tradition, of Norse tradition, many of the gods love. They fall in love, they get married, they have children. I mean, there's lots of love going on in the, in the mythology of the gods. But only one god can be love, and it's the Christian god. And the reason for that is, if you look at um, Corinthians, it talks about what love is, doesn't it? And it says, well, well, love is patient, love is kind, and it's all these different things. And in there, right in the middle, it says, love is focused on the other. It is not focused on itself. And so, if I was to grab Zeus, okay, um, and pull him out of his mythology and say, in the beginning was Zeus, Okay, so now, again, close your eyes and then realize you can't close your eyes and begin, imagine the beginning anyway. But in the beginning was Zeus. Okay, so we put him in a vacuum and there's nothing else, just Zeus. Can Zeus be love? No, because there's no other to focus on. He can. He could, if, if he was to create something else, he could then love it. But he can't be love in and of himself because in and of himself, there's nothing to love. And yet the Christian God is so different because if we grab the Christian God and we put it in a vacuum and say there's nothing else apart from God, Yahweh, he can be love because there is otherness within God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so now I want you to imagine this. In the beginning were Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are being love. And so maybe the father is saying, oh, Jesus, you're so amazing. I love you. You're fantastic. And Holy Spirit, I love the way that you, you do life and that you just, who you are and all that your attributes and the Holy Spirit's going, oh, Jesus, you're incredible. And father, I love you so much. You're an amazing father. And they're just loving one another. And that's the beginning. That's where it begins. God is love. In the beginning was love. In the beginning were these, these three in one entity God. And that's kind of a mental thing to think of because does that sound good, right? I mean, it, it sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty perfect, right? And you'd be hard pressed to say it's not perfect, right? Because if you say it's not perfect, then that's God. You can't say it's not perfect, okay? So, but it was perfect. It was, it was wonderful. It was, there, was, there was nothing wrong 
within the beginning was God. And yet at some point, this God, who was other-focused, who was loving the other self in some weird way, and again, the Trinity, get your head around that, okay? But whatever that looks like, this God in this amazing moment of just love, of, of this infinite eternity of love, said, let's change this, right? He said, eh, let's do something different. At some point in eternity, that thought entered God's head. And the reason we know this is because we're here, right? If he didn't think that, then we, we'd still have the in the beginning was God. And that would, the periods were done, right? And there'd be no Bible, right? Because in the beginning was God and the Bible. And that's for the conservatives. Um, <laughs> At some point he said, let's do something different. And that thought is the answer to every person's question. Why am I here? Why is the human race here? At the end of the sentence, in the beginning was God, is this pause before we have the answer. Why am I here? Because that really is the question. Why am I here? Because there's no real good reason to change that. That was pretty good. Why would God change that? And even more uh, crazy is why would God change that for this, right? Because if, if, if you were to go home and imagine the best world and civilization and universe you could ever imagine, would you come up with this? I don't know. In my head, because I know better, right? Obviously, we all know better than God, uh, right? In my head, I'm like, no, I would have a perfect paradise and there's nothing ever goes wrong and, you know, everyone was lovely and wonderful and there was no death, there was no cancer, there was no suffering. It would just be, yay, um, butterflies and rainbows, you know. Um, but God changes it for this, that. That really starts to hurt my head. And... It just, it kind of just hurts my head. Right? I, just, I don't know about you. I've been thinking about this for like over a decade now and it, and it hurts my head still. I'm like, in the beginning was God and everything was good and it was love and it was power. It was amazing. And then this starts. And so he creates a garden. He creates a universe. And in the middle of the universe, well, we think it's the middle, at least for a few thousand years. We think it's the middle. Um, he creates a universe. He creates a sun. He creates a planet. And in the planet, he creates a little garden. And in the garden, he creates a couple of people. And... Uh, and he's like, this is amazing. This is good. And the Bible tells us this is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. He creates people. This is very good. Okay. We are the, the pinnacle of everything he makes. So we're the crescendo. Wow. People, they're very good. And that story doesn't stop there. Right? Because even that would maybe be pretty good. I could see why he'd do that. Um, but it doesn't stop there, does it? Because what happens next? Oh, there's a tree here. Oh, we'll eat from the tree. Oh, no, everything's gone completely awry. And the Bible goes poosh, downhill very quickly, right? Next story, boom, people are killing each other. It's, it's, it's gone definitely not good. And yet there's something in it that I, I'm often amazed by the story of creation. Like, I think we, we somehow, I don't know how we've done it, but we've somehow created a belief that God's surprised by the fall. Right? Like that somehow he's like, so his plan was that Adam and Eve would be put in a garden and it would just be one hunky-dory and that was it. The end. <sighs> Yay. But like, do we genuinely believe that? Do we genuinely believe that God creates the world? He puts Adam and Eve in there and he goes, right, now whatever you do, don't eat that tree. Or eat the yeah, fruit on the tree. Don't eat the tree. God, that would kill you. Um, <laughs> you will have some serious bowel movements tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Don't eat, yeah, that's going to be bad news. <laughs> don't eat from this tree. Don't eat the fruit that's hanging on the tree, okay? Um, <laughs> don't do that because it's all going to go terribly wrong. And then he goes, all right, good. There we go. Problem solved. I've, I've made sure they're not going to do that. That's great. Um, and then what, what happens? Does, uh, uh, well, God walks with them in the cool of the day, doesn't he? So maybe at, at, when it gets a bit too hot for God, because he only likes the cool of the day. I don't know what that's about. Um, he goes back up to heaven because heaven's this different place. Uh, and he goes up there and he's like, all right, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, should we, uh, uh, 
well, why don't you, Jesus, why don't you keep an eye on those, those two? Make sure they don't eat the fruit or the tree. Um, and uh, me and Holy Spirit will go for a coffee or something, you know, whatever. And they go off and they're doing their thing. And they come back uh, an hour later and Jesus is standing there. And he's pulling his hair out. And he's like, ah! He's like, guys! He's like, I'm freaking out! And they're like, what's going on? And, and they're like, uh, uh, he, uh, they ate the fruit! And he's like, what do you mean they ate the fruit? And he's like, I, I turned away for five minutes. You know, it was, uh, Gabriel came in and he's like, we're organizing a surprise party for Michael and it's going to be great. And what kind of cake do you think you'd like? You know, chocolate or like, you know, vanilla. And I looked around and I was thinking, chocolate, vanilla, what does Michael like? Mm, I don't know. And it turned around and boom, they ate the fruit. I was, I just turned around for five minutes, I promise. And they're all going, oh no, what are we going to do? How are we ever going to solve this problem? Oh, okay, let's brainstorm. Uh, uh, we could just kill them all and start again. No one would know. There's only two people and they'd be gone. Uh, no, the angels will know and they'll say we're not very good. And um, Okay, uh, well, um, oh, what else can we do? Uh, maybe we just like lock them in the garden, put that to the side and create a different garden and then just hope that just doesn't go. No, that's not a really good solution either because someone's going to find the garden eventually. Um, uh, oh, I don't know. And then Jesus is like, maybe, maybe I could like, show up like several thousand years later and like we could let them kill me and then that would just make it better and they're sitting there going i don't know how that's going to work but let's just work on yeah let's let's do that we'll figure it out in the thousands of years um i mean is that what we think happened like do we think that the cross is like plan b do we think that god was like oh my gosh they ate the fruit of course we don't right god's bigger than that god knows what's going to happen but Somehow we need that. We don't talk about that part because that would make God look weak if he didn't know what was going to happen. But if we're honest, the way we treat the fall as if God never wanted it or could possibly see it happening, it kind of does kind of create that God in the background. This God that's quickly shooting from the hip. How do I quickly figure out an answer? And this is what's interesting to me is it says in the Bible, in the New Testament, that God... Uh, he says that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. Before God created the earth, before there was a garden, before there were people in the garden, Jesus was crucified. Now, obviously, I mean, the author of that, he was around when Jesus was crucified. So he knows when Jesus was crucified. He's not saying like, you know, sorry, I got my dates wrong. Um, he's, He's saying something much deeper. He's saying long before God created the world, he knew Jesus would have to become and die for the people in that world. So God's not surprised by the fall. And this, so now, right, so God knows that everything's going to go completely awry, everything's going to be a disaster, and yet he still goes, yeah, this is a good plan. And how do we know he went, yeah, this is a good plan? Because we're here. I mean, like, in the beginning was God, and they're doing this thing, and they go, let's do this. And then they go, ah, no, they'll eat the fruit, and then it'll be a fall, and then there's going to be death and destruction and cancer and horrible things. And then you're going to have to become a guy and die on a cross and be die this horrible, brutal death and be tortured beforehand. <sighs> now let's come up with a different plan, right? I mean, that's what I would do, right? Can you imagine that discussion? And they'd be like, maybe we should rethink this, right? <laughs> I mean, like, don't you think? I mean, you read through the whole the Old Testament, you go, oh, we'll have to destroy this entire village and then we'll take out this entire people group and kill all of them. Maybe we should rethink this, right? I mean, like, maybe. And yet God goes, yeah, this sounds good. And we know he said, yeah, this sounds good because we're here. And this just hurts my head even more, right? Because... What it does is it highlights certain things we think about God are completely untrue. See, I grew up in a church where God is all about avoiding sin. Right? God can't look upon sin. He hates sin. When you sin, you have to get yourself right before he can even be with you. I mean, he hates sin. And don't get me wrong, I don't think God loves sin. But I don't think his goal is to avoid sin. And I'm pretty sure that's one of the clearest things we can grab from the creation story is God's not in the sin avoidance business. Why? Because he creates a world knowing sin would exist in it and goes, nope, I'm bigger than that. See, that is what excites me. That's what gets me excited is he goes, oh, there's going to be suffering. And he goes, that's fine. I'm bigger than that. Oh, no, there's going to be death. Nope, bigger than that too. Sin, bigger than that. 
You see, if anything, it's a statement of God not being. God is so big and so infinite that actually all of these things are tiny little footnotes. He's like, oh no, they're they're so small, they're so insignificant. I'm bigger. I'll deal with that. I will overcome that. And he's not motivated by things not going wrong. He seems to be motivated by something else. And you see, I can't help but wonder. In the beginning was God, and this God was love, and is loving the other himself. I don't know how that works, but you get it. He's loving. Father loving Holy Spirit and Jesus, Jesus loving Father and Holy Spirit. You know, just this love, man. You know, it's just, just beautiful, like just this um, frantic whirl of love between this three and one being. And I, and I just wonder if at some point they went, should we love some other stuff? <laughs> See, in this place, in the beginning, where there was nothing but this whirl of love, of God, just loving frantically, and he just goes, let's make some stuff we can love. Let's make more stuff we can pour out who we are on. See, I think this is the Big Bang. I think this is where it, everything starts. And everything starts being. God goes, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to create people and I can love them. And actually, I'm going to make them so that they love each other. And I'm going to make them so that they can love and demonstrate who we are and, and enjoy our love and then continue our love. And, and, it, and it's in this place of love, there's an explosion of love. There's this, it, it's love that motivates God to create, not anything else. And certainly, it isn't perfection in the sense that we think of perfection. Because if it was perfection in the sense we think of perfection, he would do it differently. I mean, do you ever think about this? Like, this is going to break your head. Okay, so this, again, I'm saying this again. This session, this first session, is more of a philosophical. I'm going to throw out lots of things. It's going to get your head whirring. We're going to come back down over the next few sessions and do some, some more intense Bible teaching where we'll walk through some Bible. But, but right now, I just want to throw out some stuff that's just going to get you thinking in different areas and, and just cause you questioning some preconceived notions. But... I mean, do you ever think about this, right? So he creates the garden. He puts a couple of people in there. And he goes, right, there's the tree of life. Yeah, that's good. Um, right, we've got this other tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you, I mean, are the angels sitting there going, hey, God, so that tree, what does that do? And he's like, oh, well, this tree, this tree, um, if they eat it, everything's going to go to crap. It's going to be horrible. It's just going to be a disaster. Well, why, why are you putting it in there? And he's like, oh, no, no, don't worry. I'm just, I'm just going to put it in there. It's fine. They won't eat it. They won't. I'll tell them not to eat it. Yeah. Well, but what if they do? They won't, they won't, they won't. Don't worry, don't worry. And I said, like, okay, so where are you going to put it? Right in the middle, right in the middle, right in the center of the garden. The center? Why don't you put it in Antarctica? That seems like a better place to put it. You know, just out the way. Ah, Antarctica's quite far away. I mean, they're never going to go to Antarctica. I'll put it right in the center, right in the center. Okay, well, um, do you want to make it like, you know, it looks pretty short. You want to make it really tall so it's really hard to get to the fruit? Maybe like, like with a slippery trunk with no branches. No, no, I like it quite short. I like it where you can just take the fruit, clean off. It's a good height, good height, good height. Uh, yeah, yeah, right in the center. Good height, nice. Yeah. Well, do you want to make the fruit look bad because it's bad fruit, like it messes things up? And No, no, let's make it shiny. Smell good. Looks really appealing. Looks like the best fruit in the garden. Let's do that. Uh, okay. I'm not really sure where you're going with this, God. Like, this seems really weird. Yeah, no, no, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. Don't you guys worry. You're just angels. You don't know. It's fine. I got this. Um, okay, now there's just one thing I forgot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy's Satan that fell. Let's put him on the tree and let him talk. That seems like a good idea. Perfect. All right. Now, everything I've seen, everything I've created, all of my creation, very good. He calls it very good when there's a tree that's going to ruin everything in the middle with Satan on it. I mean, what is the concept we have of God? Because our, my concept of God sees Satan and he is not okay. He's, he's very upset. He's, he's distressed. He's, he doesn't want Satan anywhere near. And, and this God is like, yeah, Satan, I don't care. So suffering, sickness, sin, death, even Satan. And God goes, eh. it just, it, it seems to be so irrelevant to God. He's so much bigger. Whatever he's got planned is so much bigger than all of this. He doesn't even seem to care. And we know that ultimately the cross was the plan anyway. And this, this hurts my head because, ah, uh, can I say it? The fall wasn't a mistake. 
I mean, if God knew that Jesus would be crucified before the foundation of the earth, then he knew there would be a fall. And if he didn't want a fall, he would have changed something. But he went, nope, that's fine, I'm happy with a fall. Why? Because the most beautiful demonstration of love that there has ever been or ever will be is Jesus coming in the flesh and dying for us. And so he just goes, oh, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be sickness, there's going to be pain. Well, that's just a better opportunity for love. People could get healed. People will overcome death. People will overcome their suffering. Their suffering will bring people together and they'll love each other even more. This is great. You see, God looks at it from the perspective of, I'm going to be able to love even more. People will be able to love even more. God is motivated by love, not avoiding any of these things. Now, I'm not saying these things are good at all. Because in the overcoming of these things, these things are eradicated. Their things are done away with. But God isn't motivated by avoiding them. He's not a God who is fixated on sin. He's a God who's fixated on love. He's not a God fixated on avoiding suffering or avoiding pain or avoiding death. He's a God fixated on life, on healing, on joy, on... Ah, yeah, all that good stuff. That's what he's fixated in. But then let's stop and think about it even more, right? Okay, I want you to really, this is, this is going to push you a bit more even still, okay? Let's, let's think about it a bit more. We've got um, all this stuff going on. And, and, and yeah, I want you to think about that. Before the foundation of the earth, Christ was crucified. So, okay, in the beginning was God. You there? Okay, nothing, just God. And I don't know what God looks like as well because does God look like anything? I don't know, whatever, right? So in the beginning was something you can't imagine. And they're there, they're doing their thing, and they're loving one another, and they come up with this whole creation, and they go, oh, there's going to be this and this and this and this. And, you know, we've got all that, and in the midst of it, before they create anything, before the foundation of the earth, Christ was crucified. Well, what has to happen for Christ to be crucified? Christ has to become what? Human. He's going to have to become human. So he's going to create this world. He's going to put people on it. But he also, as he's putting people on it, goes, I'm going to become one of these. You ever thought about that? Before he creates mankind, he knows I'm going to become one of these things. You see, with the plan B model, he never knows this. He creates some people and then later goes, oh, ooh, ah, I need to become one of these now. What's going to happen? But God knows before anything starts, I'm going to become one of these things. And we often forget, you know, we think of Jesus coming in the flesh and we always go, oh wow, how amazing God became a little baby, a vulnerable baby. He places his, his future in the hands of a, a woman and a, and a man, you know, and uh, Joseph and Mary. And, and, and we talk about all these things and we go, yeah, he's just a little baby boy. We, 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 we recognize God became a man. Right? And, and obviously, you know, um, you've got the Gnostics who believe that, that uh, God didn't uh, come in the flesh. Um, but but we, 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 we hold to that. It's a core tenet of Christianity. John says, whoever says Jesus didn't come in the flesh is not of God. And so this is a real core tenet. Jesus comes in the flesh, becomes a man. And then he grows up as a man, right? He has to learn to eat and drink and speak wipe his own bum, you know what I mean? All of these elements. He grew up as a man, the whole spectrum, okay? He was a baby that couldn't feed itself, he couldn't talk, he couldn't understand. I mean, this is a real process, okay? And, and the Bible again talks to that. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and understanding and obedience even, which is, that's crazy, but we'll put that to the side, God learning obedience. Um, anyway, so he grows up in all of these things, and then he starts a ministry, right? He's like, oh yeah, cool, yay. Uh, I'm gonna run around, I'm gonna heal some people, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna tell people that God is love and he's nice, he's not a mean guy, he's like a father, not like a angry judge. And, um, and then people go, we don't like that God, let's uh, keep our gods and let's kill this guy. And so they try to do that and there's some ups and downs and they try and they fail and you know, blah, blah, blah. But eventually, boom, success. We kill this guy, Jesus. So Jesus the man is killed. But then that's not the end of the story, right? He raises from the dead. And then he floats around as a spirit, right? No. He's still a man. He comes back from the dead. Can you imagine being God, right? And you, you go, okay, yeah, I guess I'll become a man for a while. And you become a man, and then you die, and you're like, thank 
God, this is over, right? Thank me. Um, right, because what's happening? Is he up in, in heaven? Because heaven is this far off distant place. Um, he's up in heaven. He's watching earth because this distant place is above earth. Um, but he can't see Australia though because it's... <laughs> anyway, um, so he's up in heaven. He's looking down and uh, he's looking around. He's enjoying heaven because heaven's perfect and earth is terrible. Um, and uh, he looks down. He goes, all right. He's like, gosh, zero AD. I'm up, you know? It's my moment. Um, and so he looks around going, oh, I'm going to miss this place. I'm going to miss being whatever he was before he became man. I don't know. Um, and so he goes, right, okay, time to become a little baby. He, be he becomes a man. He joins us all on this filthy, rotten, dirty, disgusting planet. And he's this crappy guy. I mean, right? He's just a man. He's not God anymore. He's a man. And that's not what the Bible says at all, is it either? It says he was fully God and fully man, which is hard concept for us to get our heads around but anyway he becomes this man but he raises from the dead can you imagine after 33 years and you get die this brutal death you've done all this stuff for for mankind and you raise up and you're still a man oh. hmm interesting okay so then you explain the gospel because they didn't understand the gospel somehow um three and a half years of explaining the gospel and they still didn't get it um and then you explain the gospel and then you go all right guys i'm gonna leave now because it's better that i go because the holy spirit is better than having Jesus in the flesh in the room with you, which I think we often gloss over. Um, I'm going to go now. So he goes, all right, go and make disciples of all nations, heal the sick, you know, cast out, I almost said cast out lepers, cast out demons, <laughs> cleanse the lepers. Um, don't get that wrong. Don't clean demons and cast out lepers. Okay, that's a bad mistake to make. Um, and he, he then ascends into heaven and his spirit raises up into heaven and the crumpled up body that Jesus used is on the floor, right? No. He goes up to heaven as a man. And so he goes up. And then the angels come along and go, hey, on your bike, come on, get out of here. Stop looking at heaven. And then we spent the next 2,000 years looking up at heaven, waiting for him to come back. Um, and uh, he goes up to heaven. And then the next time we see Jesus is when Stephen is about to be killed, isn't he? And the, the, the skies open up, the, the clouds open up, and he sees into heaven because heaven is up there, just the other side of the clouds. Um, You've got to be careful when you're flying. Um, and uh, he sees the man, Jesus Christ. That's what he says, doesn't he? He says, behold, I see the man, Jesus. Oh, poor Jesus. He's in heaven and he's still a guy. Did he know he was getting in for this? Like, I thought it was just a 33-year commitment. That's a bummer, right? Imagine being a man still. And then Paul talks about the man in Jesus, uh, the man in Jesus in, in heaven, uh, John uh, in his revelation of, uh, of Jesus. He, he sees Jesus, the man. And the real tough part is that Jesus hasn't become a man for 33 years. Jesus becomes human for eternity. So now let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning was God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they're loving one another and they're just enjoying this community. And they go, let's change something. Let's do something different. Let's uh, create a planet and let's create a garden and let's put some people in it and let's see what happens. And oh, it's going to go badly, but that's fine. We'll just fix it out. And Jesus, you can just become one of them. Wait, 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 what? What do you mean? I just become one of them. I'm quite happy with this arrangement up here. This is quite good what we've got here. I'm pretty great. I don't want to become one of them. That's fine. You'll be great. You're God. You, you'll figure it out. Is that how it happens? No. And in, in fact, in the Bible, it says uh, that Jesus did not count to equality. He did not count the need to be equal with the Father and happily took on human flesh. And so there's this thing of Jesus going, yes, that's awesome. I can't wait to do that. Now stop and think. His next step is what? He then thinks, okay, let's create the universe, let's create a planet, let's create a garden, and then let's create some people. What do you think is going through his head as he's about to create some people? Yeah, just make whatever, it's fine, right? Two arms, two legs, yeah, bit gangly, chuck them in there, fine. Is that what he thinks? I wouldn't, right? Can you imagine? Okay, so I, let, me, let me give you the worst prophetic word you'll ever get, okay? You're going to die in one year. Okay, don't worry, it's not real. Um, maybe it is, I don't know. Um, <laughs> just joking, calm down. Uh, <laughs> or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> Except for, no, just joking. Um, so you're going to die in one year. Really bad news, right? But there's a good side, okay? In one year, 
I will give you the technology to transfer all of your, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your thinking, your mind, um, your soul, whatever the soul is, whatever that, that thing is, the spirit. I will allow you to transfer it into something else that isn't human, okay, in one year when you die, okay? All right, have fun. What do you do next? Do you just go, meh, okay, I'll just live for a year and then just see what happens, right? You're gonna spend the next year thinking about what am I picking, right? Do you just go, table, that'll do. I'll be at table, right? Do you think you'd have fun as a table for eternity? No, right? What about the chair? Chair looks all right. Yeah, I could be a chair. I could, well, there's not much I could do actually. <laughs> Right? You're not going to be able to talk. You're not going to be able to feel anything. There's no sensory ability to feel. You can't taste. You can't see. You can't smell. That might be a good thing, especially if you're a chair. Um, <laughs> but uh, a chair is not a great option, is it? Maybe you pick um, a dog, right? I mean, that'd be a pretty sweet life, actually. <laughs> Just sit around and sleep all day and you know, go for walks and be happy all the time. That seems pretty good. But you're not going to be able to talk to your family and your loved ones as a dog. You'd be able to be touched by them and feel by them. So it'd be better. You could see them. You could watch them grow up and, um, until you die at the age of like 16. Um, but yeah, um, do you see what I'm saying? You would be thinking, what am I going to be? And what is the main motivation for what you pick? I want to still be me, right? That's what you want to be, right? You don't, you're not even thinking, oh cool, I can be even better. You're just thinking, how can I still be me? And you see, when it says that Jesus is fully God and fully man, I think when we have this mindset that Jesus becoming man is a backup plan, we don't realize that, that Jesus didn't just go, all right, let's take some man, boom, down there, some woman, boom, down there, all right. And then thousands of years later, hundreds of thousands of years later, wherever your, your beliefs are there of how long humans have been around, um, he then goes, oh, Shoot, I'm going to have to become one of these. How am I going to work this out? Oh, uh, oh, hands, they're weird. Okay, I'll figure it out. And you know, This is kind of how we often see God becoming a man. It's this foreign thing. It's not compatible, but he, he makes it work. And yet that's not at all what we see. We see God creating man, and it's the very, before he creates man, he knows I'm going to become one of these. So what's he creating when he creates man? God is creating the perfect physical thing, the perfect physical representation of who he is. He is creating something that is 100% compatible with who he is because he needs to be 100% God in it. And if you're not 100% compatible with him, he can't be 100% him. The best idea God ever had is something you look in the mirror at every single day. The very best idea he ever had. And I can say that with such confidence because if he had a better idea, you wouldn't be here. Right? The other idea would. That would be humans with three arms or I don't know, maybe dogs. <laughs> He's maybe regretting, gosh, dogs are pretty good actually. Um, the very best idea God has ever come up with is you. You are 100% compatible with God. And this is all of a sudden we see in the Bible that, you know, Jesus lives in you. The fullness of God without measure is within you. The Spirit is poured out with a measure. You know, God, all of God resides in you. That's such a mind-blowing concept for us, isn't it? I mean, it's really hard to get our heads around. But if we stop and go right back to in the beginning, we suddenly realize, of course, the fullness of God can reside in me. I was made for the fullness of God to reside in me. That was the very first thought he had. Before he thought, how many fingers, how many toes, he thought, will I be me in this thing? Because if God wasn't fully himself in human form, well, Jesus would be less God. Is Jesus less God today than he was before he came? I mean, do we believe that? I don't think so. Maybe some people do, I don't know. I've not met them. Everyone would profess that Jesus is fully God still. Every bit God. And yet he's fully human. 
And so this starts to question what we think of when we think, who am I? What is it to be human? Because I don't know about you, but I was not brought up to think, ah, mankind, humanity, that stuff's the bomb. That's great. Humanity, it's the best thing ever. In fact, I was probably taught the exact opposite by my experience and my upbringing within church. Humanity is wretched, is sinful, is awful, is uh, we're just worms or ants in the sight of God, you know? We're just so insignificant and useless, but, you know, he's, he's so good. He'll, he'll, he'll humble himself and, and lift us up and, and make us something. You know, he'll, he'll turn something beautiful out of this mess. But that's not what I see. And I realize I've actually maybe potentially been coming at this with a slightly warped view of what it is to be human. I mean, the Bible clearly talks about us being his children, about his being his offspring. And I don't know, you think about your children, okay? You have children and um, imagine, uh, so for you, those of you that don't have children, right? All right, quick exercise, close your eyes. Wow, you fell in love, you had a child. It's amazing how much do you love this child? Okay, good, now you're in the same place. Exactly the same, right? Uh, <laughs> okay, but imagine for me if you don't, and if you do, it's easier. Think of your children. Think of, think of a child that you, you love and maybe they're uh, in, in their high school age and you get asked in to go and meet with the teachers. It's a parent-teacher night and you're meeting with all the teachers, the history teacher, the science teacher, the math teacher. and You sit down with them and they go, hey, uh, well, your child, um, well, to be honest, they're probably the crappiest child I've ever met. Um, you know, I mean, they, they're really bad at maths. They can't add. I mean, they probably have like the, the math of a four-year-old and uh, your kid's 13 now. So, I mean, that's not really pretty good. And they can't speak very well and they, they, they seem to not be able to write or, or read. And um, they, uh, they blew up something in chemistry because they got it so wrong. And uh, in PE, they can only run about 10 meters and then they fall over gasping for air and they're just really bad. They throw balls and it breaks the window. I mean, they're so bad. They're just a really not a good child i mean you to be honest you you wow i mean this this kid sucks right now how do you feel as a parent <laughs> right are you sitting there going oh yeah right because this is how we've taught god and us his children look terrible and we need to look terrible for god to look good right it's it's you know we we must decrease so he must increase you know I must be humble and look lowly and, and be so, because then God will look so good. And is that truly what you think in that moment when you see your terrible child? Do you think, oh yeah. Do you think, well, yeah, yeah, look at him. He, he, can't, he can't add, but I'm really good at maths. Yeah, see, compared to me, my son, he's nothing, right? Is that really how we think? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm really good at football, you know, compared to my son, I'm so good at football. Right? I mean, is that what we think? Is that what God's doing? I mean, what happens? I mean, if, if, if you, go to, um, you go to a football game and, and you're, you're watching uh, the football game uh, play out and, and your daughter's playing football on this team and, and she scores a goal, what are you doing? You're jumping up and down going, yeah, that's my daughter, right? I mean, that's what's happening, right? You don't go, oh, nope, she's probably proud. I need to, I need to distance myself from this. I mean, when our kids look great, what happens to the parents? We look great, or at least we feel good, <laughs> right? It's our pleasure to have our children look amazing, thrive, be awesome. Why would God be different? Why would God, how does it reflect on, I mean, this is the message we're giving the world as well, that God looks better because we are worse. I mean, Surely God looks better if we are better, right? I mean, and, and this is really what happens, isn't it? When we go out and we start actually loving people and actually looking like God, God starts to look a lot better, right? Whereas when we go out and have our big sticks and threaten people, um, God doesn't look so great. We think, well, what kind of father is that? I see we've got this so warped, so messed up that we, we think that in some way, a humanity that is weak, that is wretched, that is awful, makes God look better. And you know, in, in some sense, yeah, of course we're weak, of course. You know, without God, of course that would be the case. But the beauty is that actually without God is 
as impossible to imagine as in the beginning. It just isn't possible to imagine humanity without God because there is no humanity without God. And actually, this is the beauty of Jesus. He has become man forever. And what does that say? Humanity will never exist without God. You can't tear them apart because they have been made one. In Jesus, humanity and God have become one. We've been grafted together. You couldn't eradicate the human race because Jesus is in it. That's how invested God has become in us. And this is, you know, it's so amazing. I love that Jesus comes in the flesh and he shows up. And, and one of the biggest offenses to people was he would say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And they're like, well, but you're just some guy. And he's like, exactly. That's awesome. But that was not awesome. They did not like that. They were really upset with that message. <laughs> but what was his message? His message was, you've thought of God as this far off, distant, um, different, other. This thing that is radically different, right? You're probably thinking of this thing that's... Um, you know, 30 foot tall, has a 28 pack, you know, a big beard and a lightning bolt in one arm. And he's just so different to us, you can't even imagine. And Jesus comes along and goes, actually, he's much more like you than you think because you were made like him. And so Jesus reveals probably the most offensive thing that God looks like you. Now, he looks like you at your best. He looks like you in a perfection. He looks like you if you were to operate in who you truly are. But who you truly are is God-like. You're made in his image and likeness. In fact, um, it's interesting. We'll probably go into this in another session. But um, in the Genesis text, it's... Uh, it's opening a can of worms. I'm not sure I want to open. But anyway, it's a, it's a copy of a Mesopotamian text. And... Uh, um, in the original Mesopotamian text, it talks about how mankind was made, and mankind was made as slaves. They, they pulled apart this god, and they separated the firmaments, and out of that they created the earth, and then out of this other god they pulled apart, and they created man and woman, and man and woman were created as slaves to look after the world. And so the original text, the text that everyone knew about the history of the world, was that man and woman were made as slaves for the gods to look after the earth. But in our text, it's a very different message. And in this culture, um, there were different kingdoms and empires, and they served the different gods. And so the Egyptians served one set of gods, and the, uh, the Babylonians served another set of gods. And so there was all sorts of different cultures and civilizations in this ancient Mesopotamian culture, but they all served different gods. And in each of the cultures, they had a, a king or a pharaoh or a leader of some sort. And this leader was said to, to be the image and likeness of their gods. And so this image and likeness, it, it has a meaning that we don't see when we open up our Bible and read it in English, uh, you know, thousands of years later. But in this culture, originally, this phrase, image and likeness, meant something very significant and only one person had it. The king or the pharaoh or the leader. They had the image and likeness of their gods. And what it meant was, what I say is what God says. And what I do is what God does. You cannot question me. And actually in the Egyptian culture, it evolved so much that the pharaohs became gods, didn't they? Um, that's how they saw the pharaohs, was you have become a god. Um, and so, um, but that was, that was how important this image and likeness was. And, that, and this is why I love in Genesis, it talks about man and woman. And this isn't talking about Adam and Eve. This is talking about mankind. Adam and Eve come later. Man and woman were created in the image and likeness of God. So what does it say? It says that we all, man, woman, child, all of us, were created the image and likeness. But what does that mean? We are the voice of God. We are the hands and feet of God. What we do represents God on this earth. And so actually, the, the, our, our creation story, the Genesis creation story, says something powerful about man because we're not created as slaves. We're created as co-creators. God creates the earth and then doesn't finish creating. He says, you now go and keep creating. And everything he creates, creates. The trees create more trees. The birds create more birds. The fish create more fish. The people create more people. And so you are not created as slaves, but you're created as this amazing partnership with God that, that is like God and continues to create like God. And that's exciting as well. 
So how do we see ourselves? What, are we, what do we see when we look in the mirror? You know, there's this amazing passage. When, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he, he writes over a few uh, uh, letters. You know, he, he's got... Uh, three letters to the Corinthians and, and two of them are in our Bible and um, over those two bi- uh, letters he talks about beholding Jesus and seeing God and in the first uh, uh, letter to the Corinthians he says that as you behold God it's as if you see him in a mirror. What's he saying there? Um, he says and then later we will see him in, in, in face to face this real, we can touch him, you know, it can be amazing, that's awesome. But he's saying right now you can see God when? When you look in the mirror. <laughs> now that's not to say you're God. I'm not saying, you know, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit and, you know, Andy. Um, but in one sense it is. He's drafted you into that Trinity and says, I want you to share the life with me. I'm bringing you into this. And I live in you. You live in me. We have been made one. And in the second letter to the Corinthians, he says that um, as we behold Jesus, we're transformed into him. So there's this thing of we look into that mirror, we see that mirror, we look at it and go, wow, I'm looking at Jesus. Wow, that's who I really am. That's who I've really been made to be. I'm seeing who I truly am. I'm seeing God. And as I behold that, I am transformed into his image. And so there's this thing of the more that you recognize as you look at yourself, I am made in the image of God. I am made to look like my Father, Jesus Christ. There's a reason that you look at Jesus and he looks like a person because that's how God wants to live. He wants to live in you, in the person. And so it's in doing that, it's engaging with that, it's when we, when we see Jesus as though we are looking in a mirror. And this is a beauty, and this is what happens, right? Jesus shows up and we don't like it because it's like we're looking in a mirror. So Jesus comes and he goes, hey, I'm God. And we go, well, I don't like that because you're a guy and I look at a guy every day in the mirror. (laughs) It's really offensive that when we see God, he looks like us. But actually, that's the power. Because what does it say? It says, wow, Jesus came in the flesh as a human and he healed everyone. He loved everyone. He could transform people's lives like that. What does it say? It says, huh, maybe I'm supposed to be doing that as well. And all of a sudden, all of this stuff that we put off, well, Jesus could do it, but I can't. There's no excuse because you were made from the ground up. You know, we we often think of God trying to figure out how to work with us. You know, I I don't know about you. I I struggle, right? I mean, if we're honest, we look in the mirror and we do not see, wow, Jesus Christ in the flesh, right? We think, oh, look at this guy. What an idiot. Right? I mean, that's what I think. You know, I look in the mirror and I think of all the things I've done wrong. Right? I lay down at the end of the night and I do not think, man, I am the best human being that's ever existed. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that to that person. And I bet you they're going to really get upset because I said that or did that. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just as uh, uh, full of flaws as any of us. Um, and it's easy to fixate on that, isn't it? It's easy to focus on, on the ways we're not like God. But actually it's in recognizing that from the ground up, I've been made to be like God. That actually it pushes all of that other stuff away because that's not who we truly are. It's not who we've truly been made to be. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.